Hi friends, this is episode 10 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi friends, we are here with Mike Ross, a, a great friend of mine. It's great to have you here in the studio, Mike. Thank you, Roy. It's a pleasure to be with the group each week. Awesome. Mike, you led out in this session, and I can't wait to get to the session, but I want people to get to know you because I, I know you pretty good. We've known each other a long time. <laughs> exactly. I I think it might be like 17 years that I've known you. Yeah, it's close to that. Seven, I mean, 17 years and several churches ago. Because yes. we actually <laughs> met at a different church. Um, I came in as the youth pastor in, in 2000 uh, to the Azure Hills Church. Uh, you have a couple of kids. Your oldest, Jonathan, what what grade was he in? At that? He was like, I think, eighth grade, and he was sneaking into your high school class. That's right. He so. was, I think I called him one of my stowaways. Yeah. We had some stowaways in the youth class. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your son is awesome. He's He was very mature, and he was ready for, for something new in, in the next challenge. But then you helped me out as one of my adult leaders. In fact, one of my only faithful leaders, because if I remember correctly, I think the nominating committee had given me like 13 adult helpers, and the only one that ever showed up uh, was a guy by the name of Mike Ross. So <laughs> I sure appreciate you, man. Yeah, my job was to show up, be in the back, just be a presence to these kids that, hey, there's somebody here you can talk to. Absolutely. But it made a huge difference, Mike, because there's so many adults that are afraid of, of young kids that they, they don't realize the ministry of presence, just being there and available. And a lot of the guys, because you were there so much, um, really saw you as part of their spiritual leadership right away. So it, it makes a big difference just being there. I remember a certain campfire that we went on in uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, we had the kids, and I remember a water fight of, uh, that the adults weren't kind of in the middle of this, and uh, one of the girls wanted to get me good, and, and it was like, no, 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 I'm not part of this, and, and then I turned around and said, guys, hand me the bucket, uh, and, and then I did doused her and uh, uh, oh it was it was uh, on at oh, that point. Oh I remember that because I think everything escalated from there. <laughs> so great great memories. Well Mike uh, it's been so great you've been a part of our community the Bible Lab community since its inception and you have led out before this you actually mm -hmm. led out when we were in our initial room room 201 um, before we moved to uh, to the amphitheater and uh, I'm excited for people to be able to hear um, you lead out. This w would have been your second of three times that you let that you've let out so far. Um, and so I'm excited for, for people to hear your leadership as we step into um, another message inside the miracle. This one uh, found in John chapter 11. This, this is probably one of the most amazing miracles um, that Jesus did uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. To me, one of the interesting things is how it starts out. It, it, it starts out saying, Jesus loved them, and so he waited. He stayed in, and waited where he was. I mean, it just, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. And yeah, as, as you go through the story, and Mary and Martha are going, gee, where are you? What are you doing? And, and they're actually quite perturbed yeah. with Jesus as he comes into town. 
Absolutely. So I can't wait for the people to to walk through the community discussion of why did Jesus wait so long? Why did it say he loved them so he waited? So I can't wait for people to hear that. But I want to ask you, what's something that you want the people to to listen for um, in this session? I think the thing that came out to me the most in this particular session was the uh, shortest verse in the Bible that we all know from our Bible trivia classes and things like that. Of Jesus wept. That's right. It's it's most people's favorite memory verse. And and it's, it's so it's one funny. It's the easiest one to remember. <laughs> yeah, right. It's uh, not real tough. But uh, the interesting thing is, uh, in this we we try to get into Jesus's head. What was he thinking? Yeah. Why? Why why did he weep? Yeah. Yeah, because didn't he know he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, do one of the most amazing, notable miracles. In fact, because of this miracle, it says that they definitely decided to kill Jesus. They definitely decided that this was too much. This was beyond uh, anything that, that they could stand. And so why, why was it that before he does this most amazing miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, why would he cry? And it's a really, really interesting discussion, and and yeah, it's it brings out his humanity, and it shows us who Jesus really is. That's right, and that's what we're all about in trying to look at these stories, not simply to get something for ourselves, but to look at the character of God. So people, I I invite you to buckle up, because this is going to be a life-changing session today, because you are going to see the character of God in a way that you've probably never seen him before. So I invite you to not only listen carefully, but I invite you to pray for God's spirit to come in right now so you'll understand his character a little bit more. Welcome to the Bible Lab. Kind of go with me here a little bit. It's a random Wednesday night. You've kind of come home from work. Um, you and your family and friends are fixing dinner. You got the TV on. You're watching, let's say, CNN, watching local news, see what's going on. And all of a sudden, there's something horrible happening in China. Or, let's say, South America or Africa. What's our response most of the time? Shock, maybe. Um, that's too bad. And, and then we say, oh, we need to think about them in our prayer for dinner, and we keep on going, right? Okay, very much so. And as that crisis gets closer and closer to home, it becomes more important. You know, 911. All of a sudden, that was a little closer to home. We could relate to that. Or how about something that happens here? Let me ask you, does December 2nd, 2015 ring a bell to anybody in here? Why? San Bernardino shootings. It happened two miles from here. Probably one of the, for a lot of us, some of us think is the most horrifying thing that we can think of happening. That day, about two hours after the shootings, I got a call from my mom. And my dad had just passed away. 
and he had lost his eight-year fight with cancer. All of a sudden, that wasn't something close. That hit right here. And that day, for me, has a totally different meaning than it does for most of you. Okay? So when I look at our first question here, it says, why do you think Jesus allows bad things to happen in believers' homes? I think connected to Greg's question and your comment of September 2nd, it isn't really a matter of whether or not we recognize Jesus. I think that we have been exploring in the lab that when something is included in a story, it is included for a reason. And so your opening question about entertaining Jesus at your home, the point of the story is this is a very intimate relationship. This isn't a question of whether or not they would recognize Jesus. He was your dad. He was part of the family. And so this was a place where Jesus went. If you show up at my door, it's Mike, come on in. I'm not worried about whether it's dusted or anything else. There is that relationship. Sure. Yeah. I think that uh, Earth is a laboratory to demonstrate good and evil. And I think that if Christians were somehow protected, then the whole universe could understand it as the experiment being rigged. Yeah, it's privilege. It's part of the privilege of, privilege of being part of the club. Got somebody back here in the back. You wouldn't recognize Jesus. Did Jacob recognize Jesus when he wrestled? Did Abraham recognize Jesus when he was talking about the destruction of Sodom? Did Moses recognize Jesus when he was in the burning bush? Et cetera, et cetera. Every time Jesus shows up, the disciples walking to Emmaus, best example of Jesus hiding himself for the purposes of giving teaching. One of the things that I brought with me today is what I call Sabbath school teaching for dummies. Um, Roy uh, gave me some of his notes and some of the things that, uh, to help me along with this. And uh, I think you know, some of the things that he brought out that to me was really pertinent at this point was this is the one miracle in Jesus' ministry that shows us what to do when God seems so far away. Um, be patient and understand that we don't know the entire picture. Okay? Let's look at Mary, in the next statement here. Mary worshipped at Jesus' feet. Why doesn't Jesus protect worshipers from tragedies? Yeah, I think... Often how we judge a situation depends on our own, our own comfort, our own security, our own uh, relationships that we hold dear. And as, as my brother over there has said, we don't think of the bigger picture and think of the idea that <clears throat> in God's sight, the things that we find to be incomprehensible or insurmountable 
are not big deals. Uh, the suffering that we go through, uh, maybe but for a moment, as Paul said. So um, the, the big thing, if we look in Romans 8, what one of my favorite passages at the end, he says, neither life nor death, height, depth. I mean, he lists several things there. Nothing can separate us from his love. We may not see everything clearly, but that's the thing that we can hold on to, is that nothing can separate us from his love. And even Job, throughout, he held on to his integrity, that somehow there was something about God that he could rely on, and God never really did explain to him the backstory, but still the relationship persisted. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Very much so. You know, that... Okay. We have to be careful about engaging in what I call voodoo Christianity. Okay. You pay your tithe, you pray, you do this, do this, and then, oh, something bad happened, but I followed the recipe. Why didn't it work? It's almost witchcraft. Almost, if you do it that way. Somebody had a statement in here last week that I think was very good. Life happens. You know, we had that last week. Life happens, and those kinds of things do happen. Um, yes? Recently, it occurred to me that there may have been a reason that Jesus asked us to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and maybe that reason is because God's will is not being done all the time True. on earth. True. Yes. Um, let me. My question would be, why didn't God protect his own son from the most cruel death? When my youngest daughter died in a car accident, back in 1995. That's the first question that eased the pain of my heart. Okay. I said, if God did not see appropriate to protect his own son, why should he give me a preference in the treatment of his children? And a lot of that is understanding. It's kind of trying to understand that big picture that you're talking about. Yes? All of those answers are very good. But when you are in the throes of your tragedy, your crisis, whatever it is, we as people who know Christ need to have the words to say to people. And one of them, for me anyway, is not God gave his son. He did give his son, and that's absolutely correct. But the problem with that is when you are hurting, you want someone there simply to hug you, to relieve your pain, to say, I'm with you. And we're the extensions of God at that point. That's our jobs as Christians, correct? Okay, one of the other things that, that I thought about is it's interesting to me in this first three verses that it refers to Mary who worshipped at Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair. That happens in the next chapter of John. 
It hasn't happened yet. I find that very interesting that John makes that reference. Um, maybe an uh, old-time uh, prequel to the, to the story. Um, it, it seems to be, when I start digging on it, um, it seems that uh, a lot of the commentaries were saying, well, this was kind of common knowledge, and as John was writing, yeah, he, he was able to refer to that. But I thought it was very interesting that in his narrative, he had not talked about that yet. Yes? What was the last book John wrote? Revelation. Revelation was the first book he wrote. The last book he wrote was his gospel. He wrote okay. first, second, and third John you know, during that. But the last book he wrote was the Gospel of John. So when he was writing this, it had already happened, and he was, you know, he was following the narrative God had given him. Okay, at this point, let's move on, and uh, want to go to the second thing. Uh, Jesus loved them, so he waited until it was too late. Can I get somebody to read uh, John 11, 4 through 7? When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that saith he to his disciples, Let us go unto Judea, Judea again. I think one of the interesting things of this narrative is this is our first um, insight, and, and this I got from Roy. This is our first insight to Pastor Jesus. We've seen Jesus as the itinerant preacher, the illegitimate child, the young man coming up, learning, you know, starting to speak about religion in his own church, and people... Um, people questioning, who is this guy? This is the first time we really see Jesus in, in the role of a pastor. And, and I think that's significant in some of the things that we're looking at. Why did Jesus take his time? You know, it, the question here is, Jesus chose not to answer the question in time. What is your experience uh, been like when you're asked God to help but he did not do what you asked for. What faith struggle did you have to endure? It's an, it's an ongoing struggle. It is. Yeah. Uh, I would like to make a comment regarding your previous question. Why did Jesus wait until it was too late? Maybe he did so to show that it's never too late for a believer. It's never too late for God. Um, one of the things that I wrote down here, I put, why did Jesus take his time? To me, it seems that God is saying to Jesus, this is the final step to the journey. Jesus, as much as I love you, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you must wait. It's not that Jesus did not want to go. 
It's he could not go. Halfway through my third year of medical school here at Loma Linda, just after Christmas break, had a motorcycle accident on I-10. I'd worship every morning. I had a deep prayer life. Everything seemed to be on the right track. After 35 days in a coma, not being able to walk or use my left side, I had a pastor come in who was also a friend and ask if he could pray with me. No, don't read the Bible. I didn't want anything to do with God. The cognitive dissonance was so great, I couldn't tolerate hearing anything at that point. And after I was discharged from the hospital, I was doing everything I could to find a way to end my life, you know, so that the insurance company would give the money to my mother. Um, you know, so I've, I've been down that path, and now I see that God has used the opportunities that he's given me to bring things to people that I would have never met otherwise. Um, real quick, you got somebody? Yeah, here. Okay. I have a, had a situation where I lost my job that I really liked. I didn't lose it. My contract was terminated. And for the, like, three days, I kept praying, Lord, please help me get a job. I searched the Internet. I did everything I needed to do or I thought I needed to do. And come to find out Richard's dad was really sick and somebody needed to go stay with his parents. Had I had a job, I wouldn't have been able to go. But I was able to go and not worry about losing a job that I didn't have. So there are times I think God doesn't answer our prayers or doesn't give us what our heart desires because there's something we have to learn from it. And Jesus waited, I believe, because that was his example to us that we won't always get what we're asking for right when we need it. But in a time, in his time, it will come to pass. Very good. Um, here. Yeah, uh, I want to bring another aspect to this. And the text I want to use is Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Okay. Prior to the, to the raising of Lazarus, death was an absolute terror. It was the end. Now, there was a belief in an afterlife, but it was high in the sky by and by. There was nothing, there was no relationship to it. And what Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In raising Lazarus in this manner, after four days, when the spirit was long gone and he is rotting, he has removed the fear of death. He has said, I am the resurrection. I transform. He who was creator creates. And now there is a path which his resurrection was a major part of but we no longer fear death as they did because of Christ. Amen. Yes, the body dies, but there is a real resurrection that is imminent to us, but was not then. And so the delay, I think, made that a reality to them. And so he took his friends who he could trust 
and taught with them the greatness of his Father. Very good. Verse 4 says that this is, it is for the God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And just to amplify what Harvey said, there's more glory in resurrection of Lazarus than in the healing of Lazarus. Exactly. And, and notice that the statement that Jesus made is this will not end in death. He did not say death will not occur. He said this will not end in death. Over here. Okay. Um. Um, the, the question was pretty much um, covered in the front, but I just wanted to make a comment on, on that question, why did Jesus wait? Um, I think the story pretty much um, reminds us who's in control of life and death, and that Jesus is the giver of life, and that God is in, you know, in control. So no matter what happens, we should not fear. Thank you. Okay. So we started off with this relationship between Jesus and Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And we need to not forget that the people going to Lazarus' funeral, the people that, they were, that were bringing food to Mary and Martha while waiting for Jesus were intimate in the knowledge of who Jesus said he was. Mm -hmm. And so when he says that this is to my glory, we also have to remember that this group of believers in their almost superstition or voodoo or whatever you want to call it, in that culture of that day, believed that the body resided still for three days in the grave. And yet, even though they believed and they preached it, and this was taught from the time they were children, this had never occurred before. God was not there. And yet, after three days, when their belief system said the soul could still be there, God shows up and says, I've got this. Thad, you're a man ahead of your time. We'll get there in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Throughout his ministry, the religious establishment, the academia, uh, had opposed him. And uh, th there was a group of them, the Sadducees, that did not believe in resurrection. So Jesus wanted to provoke a situation in which all the academia and the religious establishment had to take a position. And uh, he showed them evidence that uh, the resurrection was something real. And it's interesting because it was this event, the resurrection of Lazarus, that um, triggered the unity in purpose of both Sadducees and Pharisees, which did not get along very nicely. But it was the resurrection of Lazarus that, that made them go after one goal, which was, let's kill this man. Because he has exposed us all, both Pharisees and Sadducees. Very good. Um, let me work my way back here. Um, let's move on to dig deep, because um, I want to kind of follow up on what Raul just said. Um, this is, um, this miracle, when I started really studying about it, was what I call the final straw 
miracle. This was the miracle that the Sadducees and the Pharisees said, Jesus must die. And Jesus knew this, and he waited knowing that this is what was going to occur because of it. It's not that he didn't want to go. It's he knew he couldn't. So if we get into uh, dig deep on the back of your page there, um, I wanted to get in and just kind of paraphrase uh, this section of text because there's a lot of text and we've got lots to cover here. And so... uh, a couple of things I put here are, what did Mary and Martha uh, both say to Jesus? Where were you? And they met him on the road coming into town. They weren't waiting for him to get to the house. It is like, where were you? You could have changed this. Uh, this was not happy Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary was hot. Mary wanted to know why. Why weren't you here? You could have spoken and it happened. Why didn't you? And yet, um, the other thing that it brings out that I want to follow up with Raul on is uh, the four days. Okay? This whole four day, and Thad mentioned it as well. This four-day, this was something I didn't understand when I first started on on studying for this, and Roy kind of enlightened me on it. Um, I didn't understand that in Jewish culture at that time, three days in the grave, you could come back. That was Jewish belief. You could be in a coma, you could be sick, you could have something wrong with you, and you could ultimately come back. But at the fourth day, you were at the point of no return. You could not come back. Not even God could bring you back from the grave. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus did. And that is why the Pharisees and Sadducees are like, he's putting himself even above God because he's gone this far. Um, basically, you know, here he is, he's missed the, the graveside service, he's missed the, you know, all of the events, he didn't come, he didn't even make the funeral. Um, for the pastors of you that are here in the room, you all know, Roy brought this up on his Wednesday Word, and I thought it was really pertinent, and it was something I wanted to address, You all know what happens when somebody calls you a family and they're grieving and you don't show up. Either you better show up or somebody who looks a whole lot like you better show up. And and I'm sure some of the pastors in the room can speak to that. Okay? And and it's true. And and it's important for us to understand. And, And there's even... Members of the church who will say, Pastor, you didn't come when I had the flu. <laughs> you know, I mean, we get to kind of sometimes out of control in some of the things that we expect, you know, the, 
the pastors of our church to know. Um, but, you know, the question became, Jesus, where were you? Where are you? How many of us have asked that question? We've all asked that question. Yes? Maybe you want to be this myopic, but think of the disciples. The followers of John came to him, and they heard, him, they heard the disciples tell Jesus, John had been arrested. He was in prison. Who was the greatest prophet who has ever lived? Who was the cousin of Jesus? And yet Jesus did not go to bring him out of the jail. He died there. Mm -hmm. And when this happened, the disciples were still baffled at that. And now they know how much he loves Mary and Lazarus and Martha. And he doesn't go. This is a real mind bender for them. And Jesus said he won't die. And well, good, we don't have to worry. And then they come, he's dead. I mean, it's a, an instruction on the, the point of death here as well. But if Jesus had been there without saying anything, just been in the house, Lazarus would not have died. Exactly. And he couldn't have gone. Otherwise, he wouldn't have died. Jesus planned daily with his father the day before so that every, nothing was lost, not a moment. In verse 25, if you all look at that, verse 25 Jesus says, I am the resurrection. 27 times in the New Testament, Jesus tells us, I am. He's telling us who he is. I did a little research with Uncle Google. I found out that not only 27 times in the New Testament, but overall, 719 times God is saying, I am. If we want to know who God is, I think that's the best place for us to go. I think it all comes down to how well we know Jesus Christ. A couple of Sabbaths ago, we uh, studied about the, the disciples uh, in the boat with Jesus, and uh, there was a big storm. They were with Jesus, like, pretty much, uh, you know, uh, uh, all their ministry, but they still didn't know Jesus, that Jesus is the ultimate uh, uh, power that can control anything. And the situation with Mary and, uh, and, and Jesus she was asking, where, where were you? Because she knew he knew Jesus. She knew, uh, she knew Jesus. But uh, she thought that way. And uh, also the, the same question uh, goes to all of us. Like, you know, many of us th uh, think that we know Jesus. But what is really a relationship? Are we, do we really believe that Jesus is in control or God is in control of our life? Have we ever felt that there's times when we wonder, what, God, what are you doing? What's going on? Um, if we move to, uh, take me to the spot, okay? Um, again, this is several texts, so I want to kind of paraphrase. Um, Jesus kind of comes and he says, where is Lazarus? And then he says, take me there. 
And, and then the interesting thing, the verse that we all know, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And then Jesus spoke for all to hear what he was about to do. Several times in some of these miracles, what has Jesus done? He has sent them away and said, don't tell anybody. But this time, this is different. He spoke up and said for everybody to hear. So there was absolutely no questions. Okay? So when we look at this, it says, uh, Jesus asked Mary to take him to the spot where where Lazarus had been laid. In what ways does God take us back to that spot where we lost faith? One of the things that I think is really interesting in this group of texts right here is that um, I've always known the text Jesus wept. Learned it long, 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 long time ago. But this time it, it had a different meaning. Because here was Jesus, think about this, folks. Here's Jesus standing at the front of the tomb of Lazarus, knowing exactly what he is about to do. And yet he cried because of the enormity of the situation. There's a sense, it seems to me, that he entered into the suffering of Mary and Martha, and he wept their tears. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And there's a sense when we weep with our loss, we are crying God's tears. Yeah, very good, very good. I mean, to me, I've never had Jesus wept, hit me like it did this last week. It was all of a sudden, man, that's, That's saying volume. That is speaking to the humanity of Jesus. That here I am. um, I may be God, but a man too. And and, and I feel the, the anguish of everybody here. Boy, guys, have I got a surprise for you. You know, I think it's just the, the irony of it all. And and I think that the next thing is uh, Lazarus, when he comes into life, and uh, I brought here Lazarus with me. Some of you will remember uh, Hulk here from previously when I t- taught. Um, Hulk got so many requests for his repeat performance that he applied for the job as Lazarus. And so uh, we had to kind of fix him up here. But this is Lazarus. He's not coming out of the tomb going, ta-da, here I am. His face is covered. His hands are tied. His feet are tied. He's coming out like, what happened? What's going on? What, you know, I, I find that, You know, it's not this command performance that he's doing. He's kind of stumbling out of the out of the grave. And and you know, when I looked at the text, I found um, 
the interesting term um, that uh, John used, he stinketh. In verse 39, I want to know what the Hebrew word for stinketh is. <laughs> you know, it's like, I might be able to use that on a regular basis. <laughs> you know, I just, it, it, it's kind of like, I, I just found that a really ironic way of, of John talking about it. It's almost like he's, it, it comes across to me that he's chuckling about it. Well, I think in this, Jesus is showing, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how bad it stinks. I'm going to get involved here. I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. And yeah, it, it just came very, um, very interesting. It's kind of a wrap-up on this. This is the final straw to the Jewish leaders. Jesus has now stood up, said to them in your face, and showed them, I'm going to do something that only God can do. And it was the point that he ultimately, it was decided, Jesus must die. I think you hit it with, he stinketh. I heard that read as, surely the body stinks or whatever, but especially in this medical community, if Jesus had raised him on the first day, well, maybe he was just in a coma. Right. Second day, maybe it was something he ate. Third day, well, you know, the soul was still there. Mm -hmm. Fourth day, the body starts to decompose, and yet God raises him, shakes right. off death, shakes off the stink, and they are at a loss to say, you know, it was any of these excuses, this has to be the hand of God. And Jesus is saying to everyone, take me to that worst place in your life because I can deal with it. I think to me, the ultimate miracle of all of this, and I've always said for me, Jesus' greatest miracle is his story. From an infant in a small village in Israel, from illegitimate roots, to dusty roads and tiny synagogues of his time, he is still the most coveted and discussed story of the entire earth 2,000 years later. And to me, that is the crowning glory of, uh, of, of his life. And to me, that's the greatest miracle of his life because he, he still affects all of us 2,000 years later. Oh, thank you so much, Mike, for once again opening up God's Word and helping us to see the beautiful character of God. Now, I want you to come back for episode 11 because we are actually going to jump ahead to another series called Life in the Wilderness. And you're going to love it because it's basically the sequel to Stranger God, the series where we took a look at Moses and Egypt and the children of Israel, and we step into their newfound freedom, and we ask the question, in that moment, how did God express himself? How did he display his character to the children of Israel as they step into their new life? 
And so I invite you to come back for episode 11. You don't want to miss it. It's our first session of Life in the Wilderness. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.